So I guess, John, I just want to ask you, what is the real mission of a sprawling military that has no ostensible mission? First of all, I want to say there, there are people... There, there are other ways of interpreting the fall of the Soviet Union, which are kind of interesting. I just want to recommend to people yeah. uh, a book by Zubok. What's Zubok's first name? Uh, I, uh, Zubok basically argues that the Soviet Union fell because its elite could see more alluring prospects in Was the it West. The strange death of the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, didn't want you know a dacha and a, and a mediocre car. They wanted, they wanted the fairy tale as they say. And, uh, they realized they could get it just by transferring ownership of a lot of state enterprises to, to themselves. So there are, there are many ways of interpreting the fall of the Soviet union It's certainly an extraordinary event a power that great to fall without firing a shot. It's extraordinary. I can't come up with any other example like that. Mm. Um, and what was the power of, uh, what was the purpose of its military? What is the purpose of the U S military, uh, to keep going basically, uh, mm-hmm. I, the other example that comes to mind for this is 17th century Spain, where the, the power that basically ruled over the world with ease suddenly finds itself paralyzed and can't do anything but pour more and more money into lost wars that are never going to be won. Like the wars Mm -hmm. in Flanders were never going to go anywhere. You couldn't kill the whole Protestant population of Flanders, uh, but they weren't going to accept you either. And nobody knew what to do about it. You couldn't uh, free any of your American possessions, but you couldn't help the decline in their revenues either. You couldn't stop the parasitic aristocracy from feeding on the rest of the country. Nothing really could be done. And a war is at least something that you can point to as dynamic and producing effective-looking results. Like, oh, we bombed this place, we took this city, we're advancing on both fronts, yay. And it's a way of investing a lot of money that gets passed around the elite without any interference by the lesser orders. I think that's very clear in the American sense now. Uh, Nobody knows quite what these wars do. Nobody knows quite why we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. I mean, I actually did a survey recently of stories about Afghanistan in papers like the New York Times, the Washington Post. Did they ever really question what we were doing there? Um, Mm -hmm. They didn't. no, there was no post-mortem no. on a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And and then I think that just fed into, I mean, this is outside of the realm of the material, but I, th- but I think it just fit, I definitely fed into the feeling of meaninglessness for a lot of uh, people who live within the core of empire, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. the subjects of empire. And that's not good for an empire either. Yeah. Uh, the collective mental health of its subjects. Mm. Well- Well, this is sort of one of the things I wanted to drive at, because what I think that both Kennedy and Morgenthau miss and what I want to highlight with our discussion of the Canadian military and uh, John, I think something you've sort of um, prefigured here is that what they miss is the power, the sheer power of homeostasis, of institutions that understand what they need to do to keep themselves going 
And whether or not that national imperial mission is one that ought to happen, just looking at it with the hat of the question of, is it effective? Do we have the right, do they have the correct correlation of forces and means to achieve their mission, right? Is that the way to understand that the mission of, I think, the, the Spanish aristocracy in, 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 in the 17th century of the British aristocracy in this first half of the 20th century, of the, of the British, of the French army before World War II, um, of the American, Canadian, the Five Eyes militaries now is we must preserve our phony baloney jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's it. Uh, the, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's your fucking rules-based international <laughs> order right there. Yeah. It's like, we don't, we, hey... Uh, we are meaningful. We need to get paid for this bullshit that we're doing. Yeah, and, yeah, and the more you, you go into the weeds there, the less you have to worry about standing back and saying, what the hell are we doing? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can say, uh, as I, I recently did a, an article on the history of NATO. I called it a memoir. It's like, because I lived through NATO. And the question about NATO that no one asked, but it's kind of a big question, is why did NATO survive the fall of the Soviet Union. That was like, you know, mm-hmm. let's join the bear hunting club. Oh, well, we killed the only bear. We killed the last bear in the territory. But we're still the bear hunting club. And <laughs> uh, in fact, NATO's first military operations as NATO took place after the fall of the Soviet Union. 